Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. From Diddy TV, this is Insights, a conversation-driven show where today, Amy Wright sits down with acclaimed singer-songwriter, much-admired activist, and champion of civil rights and progressive thought, Mary Gaucher. Mary made a breathtaking collection of songs that she recently released as a studio album titled Dark Enough to See the Stars, and you'll get to hear all about the inspiration behind and making of the record today. It's her 11th album, the follow-up to the profound Rifles and Rosary Beads, her 2018 collaborative work with wounded Iraq War veterans. That record garnered a Grammy nomination for Best Folk Album, as well as a nomination for Album of the Year by the Americana Music Association. So that should give you an idea of the caliber of artist Mary truly is. We're so honored to host her on the show today and excited to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, here's Amy Wright with Mary Gaucher on Insights. Thanks for coming and talking to us about uh, Dark Enough to See the Stars. That's the latest album. But we kind of wanted to go back a little ways and and uh, talk about your life and then get to the new album because that's very exciting. And um, I have to say that you're a very inspiring person. Thank you. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm a late bloomer. Well, you're not only a late bloomer, but you had to overcome a lot to get to where you are. And, you know, that's an inspiring story in and of itself. But... You took it to a new level. <laughs> so you went way past what most people would have accomplished, uh, you know, having to overcome as much as you did. Um, but I thought we would go back and talk a little bit about growing up in New Orleans and uh, where it was right outside New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Thibodeau, South so Louisiana. So do you consider yourself kind of a New Orleans person? I mean, what was it like growing up there? Well, you know, I, I think of myself as from Louisiana. Yeah. Um, but I, citizen of the world. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm Southern because yeah. of, of being born in New Orleans, raised in Baton Rouge. And then I went around a bit and then back to Baton Rouge for five years of college. And then I left for good. But I, uh, I definitely uh, uh, have southern uh heritage and 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 i also feel the you know the cajun thing my last name's gaucher and you know ancestors that come from eastern canada but i was adopted and so i'm kind of one removed from everything being adopted is weird and and so there's a mm, sort of a, a pause in it you know it's like i think I'm from there. I mean, I don't know. There's a, <laughs> I don't have the story, you know, of, yeah. of what happened that brought me to Earth. <laughs> I just kind of woke up here. I don't have a birth story. I spent the first year of my life in a place called St. Vincent de Paul's, and it was where uh, unmarried uh, women and girls went when they got pregnant. Uh, in those days, the babies were put up for adoption through the Catholic Church, if they were Catholic girls. Uh, and I spent my first year there and was adopted by an Italian Catholic family in South Louisiana, as was my adoptive brother and other members of my extended family. So, I mean, it's a tricky old story that lends itself to 
songwriting, that's for sure. I was going to say there's a lot of stories there. How did you sort of deal with all those those issues? I mean, there's that's a lot to deal with as a kid. Well, I became a raging drug addict and a horrible <laughs> alcoholic was my first coping mechanism. I <laughs> uh, quit school, ran away from home, uh, was deeply troubled, didn't know why, uh, and I struggled. And um, all of those strategies failed and I ended up getting sober in 1990. And after I got sober, I started writing songs and songs led me to start to make sense of what had happened um, when I was a little person. And I think music and song have been my salvation, to be honest, and, and my sobriety. I'm 32 years sober now. and uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so I wrote a book about it. I've written songs about it. And um, I'm just uh, able to create from from some of that, that uh, confusion, and it brings me... Uh, it brings me peace, and, and I mean, I called the book Saved by a Song for a reason. I think it's been my salvation to be an artist. I know the book came out last year, and I love the title, Saved by a Song. Um, what, did, what was that salvation for you? What was that turning point in your life, and was it music for you, or was it something else, and then music kind of came from that? Yeah, you know, I was in the restaurant business in Boston. I had three different restaurants going. Um, I had investors who, who um, put the money down, and I came up with the ideas. Uh, and opening night of my second restaurant, I got arrested for drunk driving. And that was my come-to-Jesus moment, and I was able to get sober, July 1990. And I've been sober ever since. So um, I was in the kitchens for 10 years cooking and running the restaurant uh, sober uh, and started writing songs after I got brought to an open mic by one of my waitresses uh, and I, I just saw her up on stage singing an original song and I thought god I want to do that and I started writing songs and going to open mics and playing them so it was a process of, uh, of becoming a songwriter and then uh, the music and songs started to be because I stayed sober, uh, a way of metabolizing my story in a new way. And uh, it, it slowly over time became deeply attached to my purpose. And I think that's been the long answer to a, to a, a question that you just asked, which is how did it become a salvation? Yeah. I think it attached to purpose uh, mm -hmm. and it gave me a reason to get up in the morning and it still does. So when did you start playing guitar? Was that when you were younger, or was that in your, as an adult? Um, I had a guitar when I was a kid. I, I, you know, I thrashed at it a little bit. I didn't get good at it. Uh, I, I'm still not that good at it. I got my little thing that I do. Um, but I really went to uh, the open mics with uh, a sort of a, a, a songwriter mentality, like, I'm, never, I'm too old. I started at 40, you know. I'm too old to become a great musician, but I'm not too old to become a great songwriter. And so in my estimation, I think of a musician as someone who studies the instrument, and I never did. I, 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 I studied the art form of songwriting and used the instrument to expedite that, but I'm not, I don't have a deep knowledge of, of music theory or 
or, or really how to how to professionalize my playing. But my heroes didn't either. You know, nobody would say, John Prine, what a guitar player. You know, or Hank Williams, boy, could he play guitar, or Johnny <laughs> Cash. We, we know enough to write songs and simple songs. Uh, but the beauty of a simple song is that it's only simple on the surface. Uh, the, the emotional depths uh, of a simple song are actually quite uh, complex. No, it's true. When you, when you hear a simple song and the lyrics are so carefully chosen that even in three minutes, it can send you to tears. It's amazing, the power of words. Yeah, combined with music, mm -hmm. combined, combined lyric music and truth, yeah. emotional truth, and you end up with uh, a pretty transformative art form uh, that uh, I think can, can alchemize um, uh, trauma in some ways. I've certainly used that uh, to alchemize some of my trauma and in the work I've done with veterans um, over the last 10 years, co-writing with wounded veterans, using mu music and song to articulate uh, the, the, the ineffable, really. You can't, you can't get to it with just words, but melody can get in there and point to that truth that's inside this person or in, inside me and, and then bring it out. And, you know, I always say that songs are, are when they're working, they show your insides on the outside. And uh, this allows you to be seen and known and, and, and that is how we connect. So when did you actually um, begin songwriting or music as a career? When did you make that break from your restaurants and then you transitioned to just being a musician? And was that hard? Was it hard to give up um, kind of a steady gig that you obviously were good at? You had three restaurants that you were um, managing and um, you know, music is an unknown at that point. Uh, what was that leap? Yeah, it was terrifying. It was, it was horrifying, terrifying, and I tried to make myself not do it. <laughs> it was so scary, because like you said, I had a steady gig, and I was the boss, and it was working. Yeah. But I wasn't happy, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't love it the way that I did in the beginning, uh, and it became a bit of an albatross. I didn't want to be responsible for all those people and their families, and uh, mm -hmm. I didn't... Uh, Mm, I, 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 didn't, I didn't enjoy the success uh, the way that one would if it was your purpose. Uh -huh. um, and so because I was so, so sober and because in recovery they talk about, um, uh, about being, becoming more real, I had to be honest that what I really, really loved was music and song. I had fallen out of love with the kitchen and fallen in love with, um, with being a songwriter. And so it wasn't an event that I just quit. It was a process. You know, it, it was a whisper that became a conversation that became me going to open mics regularly. Uh, that became me making a record and then making another record. And then I got invited to play, of all things, the Newport Folk Festival. Wow. And to me, that was the universe going, you wouldn't be on that stage if you sucked. It doesn't happen. So maybe, just maybe, you should take this seriously and go to Nashville and dedicate yourself to it. And if it doesn't work, you could always go open another restaurant, find investors and 
come up with another restaurant. So that was my process, you know. I got in this sort of process after I got sober, and then the universe started saying, you can do this because of clues that were being dropped. I won this, uh, well, I didn't win. I was nominated for a Boston Music Award for Best New Artist. And um, I didn't win, but the nomination was astonishing. Like, Best New Artist? I mean, in Boston, there's five million people playing music, and I'm one who's nominated in this category of four people? That's a validation that I had to take seriously. And so I moved to Nashville in 2001, and I've been here ever since. So you pack your bags, you move to Nashville. Do you remember arriving, and did you know people? I mean, mm -hmm. what, was, what was that like? Or you're just, you're, you're arriving cold. <laughs> arriving cold. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, a relationship had ended, so uh, she went her way. I went to Nashville, and I came here, uh, uh, you know, just hoping that I could figure out a few. I mean, looking back on it now, the audacity of it all is kind of amazing to me. <laughs> um, but I started knocking on doors, and some people answered, and I ended up with... Um, one thing that helped me is my booking agent was here in Nashville. At the time, I was being booked by Keith Case. Uh, and he also booked Guy Clark. And he had put me on the road with Guy. And so I was opening for Guy for, for quite a while there. And uh, I started banging on the door of Albanetta, who managed John Prine, begging out to let me open for John. And so uh, I got that gig. I was able to open for John. Uh, and then I knocked on the door of Harlan Howard's songs. Harlan had just recently passed away, but his widow started working with me, and she got me a record deal on Universal Lost Highway. And then I started being connected, and uh, Nashville uh, has been uh, really good to me and uh, uh, continues to be a place where I feel very comfortable. I like, I like, I like being here. I, I like that I came here. I think it was the right place. What was it like sharing the stage with John Prine? He was obviously one of your songwriting heroes. Um, when you first met him, what was that like? I was scared to death. <laughs> I would <'Cause> be. <laughs> it was nerve-wracking, to be honest, because I don't think of myself as a singer. I don't think of myself as a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm up there croaking my way through it. But, see, John feels the same way, or felt the same way. Uh, he would make stage jokes about about his uh, you know his his scars from his cancer surgery. He's you know he said it screwed up my voice, but nobody will notice because it was already screwed up. <laughs> and so he was really kind to me, and he brought me up to sing Paradise at the end of every show. Uh, got a verse, got to sing with him. I don't know how to sing harmony, so I just sang in tandem with him. It gave me confidence. You know, I was nervous though. It was like. Uh, it just felt surreal, and um, you know, and I got to be on stage with Willie Nelson, and his manager managed me for a year. Mark Rothbaum put me on the road with Willie, onto the bus with uh, with that with that crew in the United Kingdom, and I'm like, my, I feel like Forrest Gump. Like, how is this happening to me? I I uh, I got to sing the gospel finality finale with Willie, and uh, will the circle be unbroken? And it's a medley, and it goes on and. He stands on stage and the band plays and he signs, you know, records and uh, hats and shirts and neck neckerchiefs and he, you know, the band will play and play the finale thing and it was, 
and is still kind of amazing to me. It feels like a movie, like I'm in a movie. I know Willie Nelson's like a musical shaman, you know, he's just sort of one of those people everyone's drawn to. And, but, you know, here's the thing, like you said, the signs were in the universe um, that, that this is what you needed to, to do with your life and you're doing it and you've been uh, incredible at it. So it was obviously your calling. And um, what was uh, the first album you put out um, under the label and what did that sort of, how did that, how did your life change? after that first album? Yeah, the first album that came out uh, on the major label, Universal Lost Highway, is called Mercy Now. Uh, and, um, and that was the big springboard because of the uh, marketing budget. You know, the major label put a half a million dollars into branding my name. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To this day, thank you. And, and um, uh, they got me uh, introduced to Mark Rothbaum, who's Willie's manager. Uh, Willie was on the label as well. Uh, and that got me into uh, a different tier of opportunities. Um, and then they got me on CBS Sunday Morning and uh, big, big things that uh, brought me into the public eye and ears uh, that uh, to this day I still ride the momentum of that. And I still work with the publicist that was at that label. That label folded. Uh, everybody that worked there scattered and, and went into uh, other jobs. But the publicist that was on Lost Highway is still my publicist, Jim Flamia. We've been together for 20 years. We love yeah. Jim. <laughs> He's I, great. I can't imagine working with anybody else. He's my guy. And, um, and so I got to keep him uh, thankful. Um, and uh, the, the experience was great because even though it was a major label, it was an imprint off of a major label and we didn't have the same uh, rules. Uh, there weren't mandates to have to have hits and be on the radio and be commercial. It wasn't that way. Uh, it was, you know, Lucinda, Ryan Adams, um, myself. For a while it was Hayes Carl and, and uh, Tiff Merritt. Uh, and they put out the cash records on American recordings that uh, ran through Lost Highway. And so there were, you know, outsiders, outlaws, and, and people who just didn't play by the rules, and that was fun. So do you like performing as well? Mm, I love being on stage, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love being, uh, I'm a troubadour at heart. Um, when I left the restaurant business, it was my deepest wish to not have to run a large number of people uh, employed by me ever again. I just didn't, I don't have the disposition for it. And uh, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be responsible for me. And that's kind of what I've done. I'm a troubadour. Spotlight, bottle of water, bar stool, stories and songs. And, uh, you know, I'll hire a band for some festivals and I'll hire a band uh, probably for the Franklin Theater CD release show, but that's a one of or a couple of shows. I don't have a touring band or a bus or all those things that I didn't want, you know. I, I kind of like the freedom of, of, it, of it being a troubadour career, and I, um, I'm, I travel light, and I, I, I love the freedom of it. You know, you, um, you mentioned your work with, with veterans and co-writing co songs with veterans, and you put out in 2018 you released Rifles and Rosemary Beads, and you co-wrote the songs with veterans. How did this project come about? 
Yeah, I've been a part of a nonprofit that paired songwriters with uh, wounded veterans. And I started writing songs uh, with the wounded veterans. They're not songwriters, but they have story. And we just bear witness and, and, and help, help tell their story. And so these songs started piling up. And at a certain point, I asked for permission to make a record of, of 10 of them. Uh, and it went on uh, to be called Rifles and Rosary Beads. And the, uh, the experience of putting that out into the world was incredible. Being able to tell the veterans stories and sort of help build a bridge across the civilian-military divide, because we have that in this country. There's um, a real separation between those who've served in their families and those, those who, who are, are civilians. And it, it helps to explain some of, of what our, our veterans go through and are going through uh, has been a real privilege. And um, uh, I, have, I still, to this day, play those songs, and, and I have... Uh, a, 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 an affinity for it. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege. Was it cathartic for the veterans as well to kind of get oh, their yeah. story out there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I imagine it would, would be. Oh, yeah, because it helps people to understand something that they can't explain. You can't, when you, have, when you have deep trauma, there's no words. It's ineffable. But music has the ability to go where words cannot reach even poetry, even metaphor. Music can creep in and explain. How did and, you draw the story out of them? Well, bearing witness in non-judgment, creating safety, really listening, not inserting myself, um, and not asking them to recount their most traumatic moments, but just listening uh, and uh, figuring what it is that they wanted to say and are comfortable saying and, and, and using that as the springboard. Um, and the songs almost write themselves when you have some, someone with you who has such story inside them. So let's talk about the, uh, the new album, Dark Enough to See the Stars. It's being released on 30 Tigers. And I, I had the privilege of uh, listening to the whole album and it, I love every song. It's just beautifully written. The melodies are gorgeous. Um, you must be really proud of this album. Thank you. I am. It, it is a uh, labor of love. This record is, uh, is complicated in that it's the story of mature adult love. I'm in, a, I'm in a wonderful relationship with a beautiful person, and I'm happy. And that has not been my story for most of my life. So it's like, yay, before I die, I get to have this. <laughs> And so it's, it's just joyful. And then there's also the complexity of what's playing on in the background is the pandemic and grief and loss and people that are close to me passing away. And so there's this complex, uh, tangled, um, tricky, emotional story of, of romantic love and grief happening simultaneously in my life and, and uh, a sense of wonder at all of it. Um, it's been a surreal couple of years. It really has for all of us. It has been a surreal couple of years, and I think there's some positives and negatives that were going on. I mean, I think a lot of us that had to slow down, and that wasn't the worst thing, but um, it took us out of our routines and just put us in a whole new world we didn't really um, comprehend that well. Uh, what were you doing during the pandemic? Were you writing these songs, but were you doing other things as well? 
Well, I finished the book during the pandemic in the early stages, and then it came out in 2021. So that gave me, you know, I'm off the road completely. So I just was able to sit and focus and finish the manuscript and get that to the get that to the finish line was a big deal. Uh, and uh, and then I, I uh, definitely uh, up my game with co-writing. Uh, and also every Sunday we did a live stream from here in the office and uh, reached out to the listeners around the world and and and, and I'm still I'm still doing that on Sunday afternoons when I'm not on the road um, and people love the um, the intimacy of it it's not a, a polished professional television show it's a live stream from my office I call it Sunday with Mary uh, and I'm, I'm having friends come over now yesterday Allison Moore dropped in and and we just swapped songs and I'll bring musical friends in, and, and sometimes I'll just do it solo. Sometimes I'll read from the book. I'll take questions. So we pivoted pretty quickly uh, to the live stream format, uh, and I used the time uh, to, to complete this song cycle uh, and uh, uh, get this record uh, uh, to the finish line as well, and the book. So when you wrote Saved by a Song, was that... Uh like a pivotal moment in your life, just like I can talk about all this and put it behind me? Or is it, did you have to reach a certain place in your life that you could even do that? Well, you know, the honest reason why I wrote the book is because I got a, a book deal. You know, mm -hmm. they paid me to write the book and that became my job. I'm going to write the book. Now, I always wanted to write a book, but the level of difficulty in writing a book is, is so high that I probably would have never done it unless I was given this opportunity to do it for a publisher. Um, and so I'm grateful for St. Martin's Press for bringing me on board and, and giving me a deadline and, and um, making it my job. You write the book because your, your job is to write this book. Um, but the beauty of the book is that it gave me a deeper understanding of, uh, I don't know, the events of of my life and, and the way that one thing led to another and how music and song has been such an important part of my recovery and how I was able to take what I learned and use it to help uh, uh, other people dealing with trauma and how they were able to then help other people in the chain of, of service that radiates outward. Uh, when one person gets sober uh, is, is pretty incredible. Well, you know, dark enough to see the stars is um, sort of, when I just read the title, it made me think of clarity. And I wasn't sure what your intention was, and I hadn't listened to all the music at that point, but that's the first thing that came to mind was, um, I can, I've achieved clarity in some way. What, what, did, what did the title mean to you? I think that's a wonderful insight. Um, my sense is that, is that um Growth comes through pain. Though growth doesn't come through a desire to grow. Growth comes through pain. I'm talking about emotional, spiritual growth. Because it gets our attention. And once it has our attention, we're given opportunities uh, to internalize some lessons. Uh, and so clarity is a great way of looking at that. That, that sense of, of what matters. Uh, the focusing of the lens, of the camera. Uh, it happens when we're grieving and when we're in pain. And pain can be purposeful if we get the lesson, or if I get the lesson. Uh, and um, 
honestly, I think the, the, the metaphor came from a Dr. King speech. And what he was mm -hmm. talking about was the lash of, of racism and oppression in America. Uh, and uh, offering this metaphor as, as, as a ray of hope to the people he was talking to. Uh, and that's, I bring it as a ray of hope as well, that we've been in, in quite a dark time, uh, but we've had this opportunity to focus on what is important and, and what does matter. And, uh, and do I want to live the rest of my life uh, in a relationship with what matters? And now that I've been given some idea of what matters, I've been slowed to a halt, um, you know, what do I do with that? And uh, for me, the, the real answer is I want to love people better and be more present. So where did you record the album? In Nashville. Um, I recorded it in East Nashville uh, with Dylan Aldridge and, uh, at the Dials and uh, Nielsen Hubbard as a producer. And the band is all Nashville uh, people. And uh, uh, we had a, a really good time doing it. Everybody uh, was uh, vaccinated and we didn't have to wear masks. And we uh, went into the studio and did it in, um, in five days. Was it fun to be back with people? It sounds like it was it during that time when we were all kind of in our corners and not being able to see anybody. I remember feeling very isolated. And when we finally started to be able to be in person again, it was, I'll never take it for granted. Let me just say that. It was, it was, it was right after, um, right after the vaccines came out and people um, started to uh, uh, get that sense of, um, uh, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know. And, and um, also, I think uh, um, a lot of us had, had been on the road uh, uh, and uh, had gotten off the road. And then once we got vaccinated, we felt we could go back on the road. And then Omicron came and we realized, oh, shoot, everybody's getting COVID even though they're vaccinated. And then started to realize, well, if you're vaccinated and you get Omicron, you're not going to have as serious an illness as if you weren't vaccinated. And that was the time we got the second shot, I think, if I remember right, and then we went in the studio. But it's blurry, isn't it? Like, I think I've had three shots at this point. Yeah, no, I had three shots and then I got COVID, just like you're describing. And, uh, and then I said, okay, I got that monkey off my back now. I can just not worry about this anymore. The vaccine worked. You know, I just have to keep going back in for whatever booster they offer. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. One, I yeah. think once I had, I was vaccinated, triple vaxxed, and I got it. Yeah. Uh, no, it was double vaxxed, and I got it. And, and I realized, wow, the vaccine's working. Uh, this is pretty miserable, but I'm not in the hospital. I don't want to get it again. But there's also a relief uh, in that um, uh, I didn't end up being one of the ones that would be end up hospitalized yeah. in spite of being vaccinated. There's some relief in that. And Absolutely. natural immunity. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I felt pretty um, emboldened after I had it. I said, hey, you know, I can go anywhere now. <laughs> right. For a little while anyway. For a little while. I got a short period of time to run out and see some shows and big stadiums and whatever else. Um, let's talk about some of the songs on the album. It starts with uh, The Meadow, which I thought was, uh, you know, kind of a beautiful uh, metaphor. Um, tell me about tell me about that song. Yeah, I wrote that song with uh, 
my one of my favorite co-writers, Ben Glover, a songwriter uh, who's from Belfast. Uh, he lives in Nashville now, but when I met him and started writing with him, he lived in uh, uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, and it's from uh, an inspiration that we got uh, from a book written by Odie Lindsay, who was a Vanderbilt professor and also a veteran. Uh, and uh, it, the book takes uh, take place in Mississippi, uh, lower southern Mississippi, and it's, and it's written from the perspective of a female veteran who comes home and is trying to rebuild her life. Uh, and so in my mind, that's who the narrator is in that song. And driving, uh, you know, Highway 90, uh, that, that famous highway down on the Gulf Coast, and trying to make sense of her marriage uh, and, and how to stay, trying to figure out how to stay. It's hard to stay when you're highly traumatized. It is hard to stay when you're highly traumatized. And I remember you mentioned uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, in the song, and I've been yeah. there many times, so. Yeah, me the, too. Yeah, the, uh, there's nothing like kind of being along the coast uh, of, uh, you know, that Gulf Coast area through Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. It's a beautiful and, uh, the, part of the world. It, and it's a vulnerable part of the world. You know, hurricanes hit hard down there, and the barrier islands don't protect it. And it's, you know, the, the, those towns are dangling, you know, and, and the coasts are eroding, and it's, it's haunted and gorgeous and southern, and it's got all of that weight. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible part of our country. Yeah, well, you know, we are, speaking of that, we are on the Gulf today. I feel um, it. Yeah, the... Uh, our studio's in Memphis. That's where we, where the network is, and that's where we normally are. But we are filming down here, and we happen to be doing this your interview from the Gulf Coast. And uh, we had a big storm earlier, and it's just beautiful. There's nothing like it, standing out on the balcony, and you know, just the power of the water and the waves and the everything mighty, else. The mighty, mighty Gulf. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's just, it's just beautiful. So let's talk about Amsterdam. Amsterdam is uh, a single that you released. Um, I happen to love Amsterdam. Uh, I went to Amsterdam to see the Starry Night Van Gogh painting, and it was on loan to some museum in the U.S. In New York City. <laughs> right. It was in New York City at the time. But I still had a blast in Amsterdam, and there's so much going on there. But what, is, what does Amsterdam mean to you? Well, I'm very familiar with Holland. My first record deal was in 97 on a Dutch label. In fact, I know that the Starry Starry Night painting is at the Kruller Muller Museum, which is outside of Amsterdam. Right. In, in its natural uh, placement. I don't, they do tour these paintings. But uh, um, the Dutch people have been really good to me. I've spent a lot of time in Amsterdam, written a lot of songs in Amsterdam. It's one of my favorite cities, and I got to go there last summer uh, with my partner Jamie, and it was such a, a joy to to be back. And the song captures that, like my favorite person, my favorite city, my favorite hotel. It's like we're here. It's working. <laughs> this is great. And um, it, it just is a just a unapologetically joyful song that it, it celebrates sort of getting out of the house, getting out of the country, getting back to what we do. Uh, it was that little window between Delta and Omicron, I think, when we thought the vaccines were a fix-all. Uh, and uh, I, we had that week there, and, uh, you know, we started writing the song uh, in the hotel room. 
One of the other favorites on the album that was Truckers and Troubadours. I liked the I liked the title of it, but I liked the song. I just thought it was great. Uh, Thank you. Tell me a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, I wrote that with uh, uh, I wrote that on Zoom with a long haul truck driver. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, the only people on the roads were truckers, and uh, True. we caught him uh, in between a haul. Uh, we being myself and Darden Smith, the co-founder of Songwriting with Soldiers, and uh, Paul. Paul is a friend, and Darden said, "Well, let's write a let's write a song with with Long Haul Paul." I'm like, "Great!" So we hopped on the Zoom and did a three three way write, and we real because Paul said, "You know, when I listen to you and Darden talk, it sounds like a bunch of truck drivers talking at a cafe." I'm like, "Troubadours and truckers have a lot in common. We're sort of." Uh, uh, similar personality types, uh, malcontents. You know, we, we all we can think about is we want to get home, and when we get home, all we can think about is we want to get back on the road, and that's just how we do our life. And so we just started drawing the parallels in the in the verses uh, around the life of a truck driver and a troubadour, and realized, gosh, you know, we're kindred. Yeah, well, I'm sure truckers have a lot of stories to tell as well, right? They do. They see a lot. They see a lot more than most people do. They do. They meet people along the way. They do. And they were our saviors during COVID. <laughs> they definitely kept things uh, stocked if without the mm -hmm. truck drivers. And there were no rest stops for them, by the way. There were no restaurants mm -hmm. for them. Everything was shut down. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Darden said, man, let's, let's do this with Paul. Let's, let's, let's give something back to this guy. He's given us a lot. And that's such a good impulse. Yeah. So you finished up the album with Thank God For You. And um, why did you finish the album with that particular song? And tell me a little bit about it, because it, it seemed there was joy in it. Um, there was also, um, it seemed like it was almost about a particular person that meant something to you, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think it's about uh, the, the uh, for me, it, it, it it's a story song about finding love and, and the relief of finding love later in life and knowing that this isn't a given. And there's this just absolute gratitude that comes from finding your person uh, in, in a miraculous way later in life in all your broken glory and and agedness uh, and having it be right there's a magnificence to that that is glorious and uh, the only thing I could think of is is thank God for you you know that this sense of of um, acceptance of me of who I am and and all of my you know, imperfection to say the least. Um, you know, I didn't find love young. It didn't work for me. I was just too much of a mess and a wreck. And in my defense, it wasn't all my fault. I had a pretty rough start and I had a lot to work through. Uh, and I didn't understand that I really wasn't relationship material myself. Uh, and, um, and all of that information and all of that work um, culminated in preparing me 
for for what was next and um you know uh i guess the song is a celebration of 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 having this connection to this person that uh uh i didn't know i would live long enough and get healthy enough to have uh, and yeah it is about jamie my partner but it's also about doing the work and finding the person it, it's it's about me but it's also uh, more than that it's not not everybody is is able to do this when they're young because because of trauma and addiction and hard stories yeah it's hard and, it's really uh, hard to find the person that you love um I, my husband and I met each other when we were close to 40, and so uh, we were late to that game as well. And uh, I think there's a lot of self-doubt and wondering whether is there something wrong with me, and maybe sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't, but I think that um, we're all blessed if we can find that other person that really Amen. loves us. Yeah, Amen. And so much of it has to do with timing, and so much of it has to do with just, I think, dumb luck. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not one thinking of th who thinks this is all destined. Like, no, I had to work real hard and change parts of myself that, uh, that needed work uh, and still do in a lot of ways. But, but that didn't mean that I was gonna absolutely then find the person. Like, it, it, it kind of blessed luck. Well, I'm so happy for you. It sounds like you're in an awesome place in your life with, a, with a lots of good, great things going on personally and professionally. Um, the new album is, is incredible, and uh, I guess you're going to go out on tour soon, so everyone will get to see you soon. We're hitting the road pretty hard with this one, yeah. I'll be out for quite a while. As many uh, tour dates as they can get me, that's how many we're going to play. It'll be, it'll be at least a, a solid year of running around, COVID willing. Well, let us know if you're going to be in Memphis. We'd yes, love to have you by the studio. So I would like that. Thank you. And Mary, have a great week. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate talking to you. Thank you, Amy. Thanks so much to Grammy-nominated and internationally adored singer-songwriter Mary Gaucher for stopping by to chat all about her latest record, the heartbreaking yet inspiring Dark Enough to See the Stars. Mary's visions of progress and the way she intuitively uses her voice in songwriting is truly admirable and worth learning more about. So we hope you enjoyed listening and that you'll do everything you can to support this courageous artist. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today. And we hope to see you again real soon, right here on Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 